0: Take A move that I make I give it everything I got Cause that what it takes I push the limit till it break The heart of the brave The soul of a legend With the will to be great Hold up Welcome! <laughs> What's up everybody? Welcome to this latest edition of No Mercy. I consider it a special edition myself, but I'll tell you that reason in just a minute. Obviously, I'm not coming from you for my regular studios, but it doesn't matter. It's always thanks to our official studio sponsor. That's why I always have a spot. It's called FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the official sports betting company of the No Mercy podcast. Also, gold is the silver bullet for protecting and building your wealth. Call my friends at Legacy Precious Metals at 866-257-3080. That's 866-257-3080. Or download your free investing kit by visiting them online at LegacyPMInvestments.com. Let me not spend much time teasing this. I'm about to talk to an individual by the name of Clay Travis. If you listen to him, you'd think he's a right winger. Some of you would think he's lost his damn mind. Some of you would think he's the resident savior because Rush Limbaugh is gone and he is the successor to Rush Limbaugh. He's also a sports commentator, though. He's also somebody that's got a whole lot to say. About a whole bunch of people. And it ain't always nice. But I'm a fair-minded man. And I wanted to give him an opportunity to talk about him. Since he's always talking about everybody else. I was very interested. When I heard that Clay Travis was interested in sitting down with me. You'll find out why in a minute. You don't want to miss this interview. This one-on-one conversation. Clay Travis with Stephen A. Up next, trust me, buckle up. You'll need your seatbelt for this one. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today on No Mercy is no stranger to controversy and will tell you what he thinks when it comes to sports, politics, or a myriad of other issues on the OutKick podcast or the Travis and Sexton radio show. Contrary to what he might believe, I don't dislike him. I really I really don't. You know, so, I mean, I was looking forward to having this conversation, to be quite honest with you. I'm talking about Mr. Clay Travis himself. What's going on, Clay? How are you, man? How's everything?
1: Hey, I'm great. And contrary to your opinions uh, there to start, I actually super have respect for you, uh, and I'll get into that for many reasons. But number one is, There are very few dudes or girls that can handle, as you well know, three, four hours of daily programming, whether it's yourself, Colin Cowherd, Skip Bayless. There are very few people who every day people will tune into and pay attention uh, to. And I think people, you you describe me as controversial. See, the crazy thing is I think everything I say is 100% common sense. So what I would just say, first of all, I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited for this. I think we'll have a good time. But i just encourage everybody out there, kind of listen along. And I think they're going to be like, you know what? I actually agree with a lot of what he's saying. And I bet you're going to agree with a lot of what I'm saying as well. But let's dive in.
0: Damn it. You, you know what? That's too many damn appearances on Sean Hannity's show. That's exactly <laughs> how he started off the interview. That's the kind of stuff that he says. I bet you you'll agree with most of the stuff I say, Steven. That's what that's the kind of stuff that he says, and as you know, I've known him for years. Yep. But I want to I want to ask you this question, because as a guy, I mean, you've got Outkick, you've got your show with Sexton, which by the way succeeded the, the, the late Mr. Rush Limbaugh. Now, I didn't agree with a lot of his politics. I didn't agree with, a, with some of his sensibilities, but there is no denying he was the elite radio host of our generation yeah. i don't give a damn what anybody says he's one of the best who have ever done it we can never take away the eib network and what he was able to do with that how is it for you succeeding him let's start off right there
1: well first of all you don't ever succeed a legend and you're right regardless of what opinions you may have i think there are two legendary of our generation radio voices uh howard stern and russon yes. ball R- I think that's one, two, and you can argue about others, but I think that's one, two right now. And so I'll be honest with you. I I felt as if it were like taking over for Nick Saban after he retires or Bill Mm -hmm. Belichick after he retires. You usually want to be the guy who comes after the guy, right? Somebody else Mm -hmm. comes in. They're not able to live up to that legacy, and then you move on. It was a challenge. I like new challenges. I think our boss, who I think you know, uh, Julie Talbot at iheart was incredibly smart. Mm. She said, yeah. "I'm going to put you and Buck Sexton on together because that way, one person is not supposed to replace Rush, and nobody's ever going to replace them, But the mm-hmm. show will sound different, and we're two years in. And I think,, uh, you know, she wants to sign us for the next ten or fifteen years if she could. So it's been a good, it's been a good start. I love it. Uh, I love the fact, and I bet you would appreciate this as well. I feel privileged because I get to say, Exactly what I think every day. My wife says that's why I don't need therapy Uh, in this era where I feel like everybody has to tiptoe up to what they believe or what they feel they can say. I say exactly what I think. Um, And at the end of the day, I've got no weight on my shoulders and I go and I take care of my kids. uh, and, uh, And that's my life.
0: Is that the reason or the primary reason why you took that challenge? Because you knew that you'd have the freedom? Because obviously doing radio, by the way, just as an aside, it doesn't get much better than Julie Talbot. I've known her for over a decade. She is one of the greatest women I've ever known. I would ask you, is that, did that play a role? Meaning the freedom to just say whatever it is that you want to say without having to worry too much about repercussions in a lot of people's eyes. Is that the number one reason you took this job?
1: I think you can't be successful unless you believe you can say exactly what you think. And I bet you would agree with this. Authenticity, yeah. I think, is the single most important thing in our business today. You may not agree with everything, but you have to believe that the person who's talking to you is to being as truthful as he can or she can on a day-to-day basis. So the reason why, I'll be be—I'll be honest with you, I was doing early morning radio, and I know you, you've you had some experience with early yes. morning radio. Oh, Lord. Oh, yes, man, I did. it's tough. Uh, I was getting up every morning at 4.15, 4.30 a.m. I was Mm -hmm. live solo, 6 to 9 a.m. East Coast every day. Uh, And when COVID happened, I didn't take any days off. March, April, May, June of 2020, my audience skyrocketed. And uh, and Julie came to me after the late, great Rush Limbaugh passed, and she said, as much influence as you can have with this morning sports talk radio show, and you're doing great, you can do it for years and years to come. I am offering you the opportunity to take over the biggest radio show in the country. Most people would crawl on their hands and knees for this opportunity. Uh, you are unsure because I loved what I was doing already. And one side of life lesson I have, Stephen A., is don't mess with happy. If you love what you're doing, don't be uh, you know constantly chasing something else. I'm okay. very happy. But the opportunity, I, like I mentioned my three boys, I started to think about the things that matter. It's great. I I wish my Tennessee Titans one day would win the Super Bowl. I know you probably wish (laughs) at some point that your beloved Knicks would win another NBA title. But our lives are not going to change if our favored teams win a championship. We're still going to show up the next day and talk about it. Whether or not schools were open during COVID, that matter. Whether my Mm -hmm. kids are able to live in an America— where they have tremendous opportunity and can hopefully like everybody, every parent out there, I want them to be able to do more and have more success than I have, just like my own parents did that Mm -hmm. matters. And that plus the freedom to say whatever I wanted on any topic was why I ultimately couldn't say no to it.
0: Let me go to you on a personal level, just so everybody can know. And I want to make sure that I'm accurate before just to highlight, let people know who you are. First of all, you are a writer. You, You started out as a lawyer, in the in the Virgin Islands, is that true? That's correct. Where? Which which island?
1: I uh, St. Thomas.
0: Do you realize that's where my family's from?
1: Oh, that's amazing. So my my, I, uh, my
0: my my aunt was the lieutenant governor. My uncle was the chief of police. I have both of my parents. My mother was born to God rest her, so she was born in St. Thomas. My father was born in Antigua. I've got about. 70 remaining living relatives that live in St. Thomas and St. Croix.
1: Well, so I loved it. I mean, it's one of the, it is truly America's paradise. And so I wasn't that excited. You're right. I was not that excited about being a lawyer. I loved a law school. I liked the learning of it. Uh, I went to Vanderbilt for a law school and the managing partner of the firm uh, in St. Thomas was a Vanderbilt lawyer. uh, And so they were recruiting. And I went down there and I practiced and it's, it's, I think it truly is. As you well know, people who have not been there. I think it is the most beautiful place under the United States flag yeah. beaches, the likes of which people cannot imagine. St. John's. St. John's is
0: a 15 minute boat ride over Red Hook. Uh, Tortola is only 25 minutes away. Puerto Rico is only a half hour flight. Yes. I love,
1: I love San Juan, Puerto Rico. That's right. I think it is an amazing place. We would go there. That was like New York city for the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Uh, British Virgin islands are beautiful as well. Uh, and so I practiced law and while I was practicing law there, I started writing online. Um, and, uh, I I had what I would call basically a quarter life crisis. Uh, you know, that was not in existence now. I know a Mm -hmm. lot of 25, 26 year old experience experience it now, but I was in a law office and I looked around and I thought to myself, I'm going to spend the rest of my life in legal proceedings and, that's not what I love. That wasn't my passion. There's a lot of worse jobs. Trust me, I've had them Mm -hmm. and it did not pay poorly. Uh, I made more, you know, both of my parents never made $50,000 a year. I grew up in Nashville. So I made more than either of my parents had ever made the first day that I was practicing law. Mm -hmm. So I, I I didn't grow up with money. It wasn't like it was an ambition, but I knew if I was going to be successful, I had to be super passionate. I had to want to get out of bed and go full speed every day. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have that with the practice of law. So I came back. I continued to practice law in Nashville. I'm still licensed in the USVI and in Tennessee. Um, And uh, I practiced for a while, but I slowly started to move into the writing world. And I initially started writing about Southern college football, the SEC, which is one of my passions. Wasn't
0: that for CBS?
1: I did. All right. I, I wrote CBS Sports. Uh, initially for no money while I was practicing law full-time, mm-hmm. just as a passion, and that eventually led to the point where I could start to take uh, to make mm-hmm. a living, and that led into radio, which I also love. It's a huge passion, and then they let me on TV, and I love all three of them, and I like to think that I'm pretty good at all three, as I would say. I imagine you do as well, and and one of my early idols, Tony Kornheiser and Mike Wilbon, yeah. I would read them. I went to college in D.C. I would read them in the Washington Post, and when the, when PTI started, I said, my God, these guys are, I would listen to Tony's show. Wilbon was a regular guest on the radio. Mm-hmm. I said, I want to be like these guys. I want to be a triple threat. I want to be good at writing, good at radio, good at TV. That was sort of the aspiration that I had as a young guy, uh, starting off in this business 20 some odd years ago.
0: Now you've been a writer and an editor at Deadspin, correct? Yep. And then you are a national <laughs> columnist at Fan House. Correct. Right. Yep. Is that correct? Yep. Now, one could ask you because Tony Kornheiser and Mike Wilbon are friends of mine. Uh, yep. Love them to love them to death. Look up to them, Admired them and revered them for decades for crying out loud. And when we look at Clay Travis and one of the things that I want to preface this whole discussion, this whole interview about, because I'm going to ask you about sports. I'm going to ask you about politics. I'm me commentating about something. Giving my opinion about something is entirely different than when I interview. Like I'm talking to you right now. I'm interviewing you. It's your time to explain you and what you think. I'm not here to pass judgment about it. I'm going to listen to what you have to say, Clay. That's what I'm going to do, okay? Yeah. So so when you bring up Mike Wilbon and Tony Kornheiser, when people have seen Clay Travis in the past or they look at OutKick, which you own now and what have you, and they see the critical eye that you attach to things, Tony Kornheiser and Mike Wilbon, that's probably your standard because you revered them, you looked up to yeah. them. When people look at you and they feel like you're critical, that you call it like you see it, but they may not agree with you or what have you. What role does a Tony Kornheiser and a Michael Wilbon in terms of the vision they set in your head about what the industry should be about and what it should be like? What role did they play in influencing you in terms of your judgment about what you see from others?
1: Massively, I think. I mean, look. Uh, and, and I appreciate the way you preface this, because maybe I need to have you on and I'll interview you. Yeah, you can I'll on come
0: everything. on. I'll come on. We'll do, I'll come we'll do a,
1: we'll, we'll do a home and home at some point
0: here. Yeah.
1: Uh, but to me, what I've always said, and by the way, I sold it two years ago to Fox. Okay. So Fox now owns Outkick. But what yes, I found works is smart, original, funny, and authentic. If you can put all four of those things into a piece of content, radio, TV, writing it's a home run it's hard to be all four of those things every day i will tell you when i was a kid in college and i would go get the washington post every time that i picked up the washington post and i read a mike wilbon or a tony kornheiser column they had all four of those things in them and that to me is the aspirational standard smart original funny and authentic you want to challenge people and you know this as a columnist and as someone an opinion that everybody agrees with is not actually a remotely interesting opinion. I agree. And, and a lot of people out there, I feel like in this social media world that we've created, there's a rush to consensus. Everybody has to have the same opinion. And to me, that's the antithesis of the media environment, especially in sports that I grew up a part of, where I was, I would devour newspapers, right? I was, I'm, I still get the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal delivered mm-hmm. in print to my house mm-hmm. every day. And I like to read the print copy. But when I was in college, they're trying to get college kids to read. And my, my friends would make fun of me. But I would read the USA Today, Washington Post, New York Times, uh, Wall Street Journal. Every day, all four of those newspapers, I would just devour all of the opinion that was in there. Okay. And I like divergent opinions. So I enjoy so reading do I. the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal editorial pages. But I just those guys, that's the standard. Right. I think they are the two best national newspaper columnists that I have ever read read in my entire life. And so for me as a young kid, that's the person I would look at and say, man, I want to be able to be as good as those guys are at what they do someday.
0: But is that a bit harsh from this perspective? People who don't measure up to them. Okay, they may be very good, may be very talented, smart and funny, obviously authentic. You know, you take all of those things into consideration. They may be those things and they may truly believe. I'm talking about any journalist out there. They may truly believe what they're saying. And it just happens to flow with the consensus as opposed to somebody lacking the courage to deviate from the consensus. Do you ever take that into consideration?
1: Yeah, look, what I've always said is I'm not a guy who looks over my shoulder. And what by that what I mean is I tell you exactly what I think, and I don't look to see who's lining up behind me one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And I try in my mind to have a consistent uh, perspective, right? So if you read me ten years ago and you or listen to me and you listen to me today, I like to believe you could go back and there would be almost like a judge a consistency of opinion. And so uh, you know, my wife says. She didn't listen to my radio show. Wife, Uh,
0: Lara, right? That's her name, Lara, right?
1: Got three kids. She's an amazing mom. Uh, She uh, says she couldn't listen to my radio show for a long time because we would have conversations and she would say, you can't say that on the radio. And what I found is the more often I said the exact same thing that I would sitting at our kitchen table or out in the bar on the radio, the bigger the audience got because I connected with that audience in a way that did not seem like there was pretension associated with it. Um, And so I think that is the key. That's why I come back to smart, original, funny, and authentic. Over time, I think if people listen and pay attention, you may get attention, and you well know this. Somebody, you you have one take and it pops and several million people might get exposed to it, but it's just a part and parcel of what you would say on a day-to-day basis. And sometimes those things that'll pop People say, oh, a lot of people disagree with you or whatever else, but they'll listen and maybe they come back and they're like, oh, over time, I'm sure you've seen that Alonzo morning uh, gif or meme where he's sitting on the bench and he's shaking his head and then eventually he starts to say yes. (laughs) That's how I think audiences are if you are consistent and honest with them. Even if they initially come in and they may not like you, over time they come to respect that there is a consistency to what you produce.
0: But where's the acknowledgement and the sensitivity to the fact that some people might get away with it. Some people might not like the things that Clay Travis said, like for example, the person you that you succeeded Rush Limbaugh, Rush Limbaugh could say things on the air that a lot of people couldn't, but he was Rush Limbaugh and he could get away with it. You know, Clay Travis in some people's eyes can say things and get away with it. Other people cannot get away with. They'll lose their job. I mean, does Clay Travis have any sensitivity to that, to the fact that you sit on a perch to some degree? I don't mean it literally. You know that. But I'm saying you sit in a position where because you're you and because of what you've established for yourself, the relationships you've cultivated, the business relationships that you have, you're in a position to get away with some things that other people can't. If they tried saying something like that, they can't pull that off, Clay tra- like Travis. Have you have you developed any sensitivity to, to acknowledging that reality?
1: Oh, I mean, I think you just have to go through the fire. People try to cancel you all the time. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> I, you remember this? I'm sure sh- you've seen this clip. I went on CNN, right. uh, and I was defending Jamel Hill's uh, First Amendment rights, by the way, when it was controversial. I like mm-hmm. Jamel. I think she's smart. I think. We, uh, but she's made some decisions that I would disagree with, but I believe she should be able to say everything under the sun. I'm a, I she's said, a friend
0: of mine. She's a friend yeah. of mine. Yes.
1: And I would respect, I respect her ability to say whatever she believes, right? I was defending her on CNN actually when this thing blew up, told my wife, Hey, we're going to take the boys out for pizza. I just got to do this quick interview with CNN Friday afternoon. Let's just give me five minutes. We're going to be good to go. I said on that show uh, with Brooke Baldwin was hosting she said, you know, I said, I only believe in two things, 100%. I've been saying it on my radio. I've been writing on my columns for years. I said, only two things that have never let me down. The First Amendment and boobs, right? So they never said, let me-
0: What was that second one? Boobs. B O O
1: B S. She spelled that. And then look, I'm a heterosexual man. Right. Cleavage has never let me down. I'm not gonna. And she was outraged, right, that I would say that. Now, to be fair, I would have been saying that because if you say you're a First Amendment absolutist, A lot of people don't really understand what that means.
0: Explain it. What does it mean to you?
1: Yeah. So I'm like, I believe in the hundred percent in the marketplace of ideas. And, you know, in the Hugh Hefner context, right. Playboy back in the day, it was ironic. He died a few weeks later and CNN said he was a hero. Mm -hmm. Uh, But my wife, the minute that interview was over, because CNN wanted me to apologize. It blew up. It was the number one trending subject in America. They wanted me to apologize. They said, I was all these things. Uh, my wife texted me and said, do I need to put the house on the market? I mean, I literally, when you look down, your wife has just texted you after a television interview, do I need to put the house on the market? You're like, oh, so much for that pizza with the kids, right? right. Um, but the reason why I believe I can say what I have said and continue to say is because I don't apologize, right? Because I believe that when people demand that you apologize, that's not a good faith effort. I- I've been married almost 20 years, Stephen A., I apologize all the time, or I would not have stayed married. Right? That's it's- right.
0: I was getting ready to go there. I was getting ready to say, "Don't yeah. lie to, don't lie to yeah. my audience, and act like you didn't apologize." It, it, You're it. married. You damn sure apologize to your wife.
1: Hey, you can argue that my entire marriage is just one long, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, so I'm not saying I don't apologize, but when people are coming at you and demanding that you apologize, I think it's BS because it's not good faith. What they want to do is diminish you and attack you. And delegitimize you. And your audience, and, and I mean your audience, my audience, everybody's audience, mm-hmm. when you take a knee, when you bend the knee and apologize for something that you have been saying for years, they know that you are dishonest and they won't have their your back anymore. And I'll give you a great line. Okay. Charles Barkley is a great dude who's come through, right? Charles Barkley can say anything, right? Okay. Charles barkley is a friend of mine. He told me years ago. He said, Clay, if you worry about the people who don't like you, then the people who do like you won't like you anymore. And I think that's so perfect in this social media age because there's a lot of people who are constantly cowering. They're fearful. They're afraid of saying what they really believe. And when that occurs, they can smell that weakness. It's like a shark with blood in the water. Mm-hmm. They will come and they will take you. Look, and another thing is if people come after me, I go back just as hard. And I think there's a fear sometimes because people get used to like that kind of cowering and being in a in a curled up fetal position. That's not me. I'll say exactly what see, I see.
0: Here's the thing that's interesting about what you're saying, Clay. I can sit here and act otherwise, but I won't do that. I agree with you. I get where you're saying. I don't. I don't think you're wrong. In terms of what you just explained, apologizing for the sake of somebody making you feel compelled to apologize, yep. I agree with that. But what I want to, but what I want to say is, what if you realize be, by off of someone what someone else is saying that indeed you might have been wrong? What if oh. you realize that you know what I kind of messed up here? I didn't really mean it that way, I, I'm, yep. and, and not only that, I got to rethink that because I'm wrong. Or let me take it a step further. You said you have three wonderful kids. Yep. What what about the kind of imagery and that you want to project to them in terms of being able to fess up when you're wrong? Because you certainly don't want them to lie to you or you don't want them to hold on to something just because they said it. And dad and mom are telling them they're wrong. But damn it, I said it. So I'm going to hold on to it. And i ain't going to apologize. You don't want that, do you?
1: No, 100%. And I think, look, the most important thing in my life is my three boys, right? And so I am old school a little bit in this context. The only thing I really am concerned about is my wife and my three boys, the people inside of my physical house. Okay. I I say all the time, there is all sorts of external issues going on in the world. I've got a 15-year-old. I've got a 12-year-old. I've got an eight-year-old. Three boys. My job is to raise them into the best men that I can. And let's be honest a world that doesn't really like men at times. And and I, I bet that you can feel that too, even though there I don't are think times. that you are a father, but raising them into productive husbands, dads, hopefully in their own life is what I focus on a lot. So to your point, I have always said, I'm not opposed to apologies if I get something wrong. I do 15 hours of live radio on the biggest radio show in the country, just about. I so far have not said anything that was wrong, but if I get a fact wrong, We immediately come back on the show and say, hey, by the way, this is wrong. And I'll give you an example. I I work as hard as I can to get my facts right. And let me explain why. I feel like we live in a country now that is focused so much on the end argument that oftentimes the factual foundation of an argument does not matter. And I'll give you an example. Okay. if I came out to you and I said, hey. I don't think Patrick Mahomes is going to win the Super Bowl this coming year, 2023 going into 24. Okay. You may or may not agree with me. You might say, "Hey, you know, Josh Allen's stepping up, who knows? There's uh there you know, we'll see what happens with Joe Burrow, we'll see what happens with Lamar Jackson. There's a lot of really good AFC quarterbacks, right? Mm-hmm. Any number of arguments you can make against Patrick Mahomes. But if I said to you, "I don't think Patrick Mahomes is going to win the Super Bowl because he's never won a Super Bowl before." Yes. You can perhaps. have the same opinion as me. But you should trust me less because my facts are wrong. Mm -hmm. What I see happening too much in this country is there are factual inaccuracies that make arguments bad. And so when I get something wrong on a fact and I I, I get my audience, I apologize to them. I said, you know what? I should have never done this. March 2020, I looked. This is something I got 100 percent wrong. I own it. I looked at the covid data that China was sharing and I tried to extrapolate it to America. And China lied to us, and I trusted that data, and it made my factual early opinions in March and April of 2020 Mm -hmm. not as good as they should have been. And Mm -hmm. I went and I apologized to my audience. I said, I shouldn't have trusted these numbers coming out of China. I was wrong. I think your audience will respect when you acknowledge that you were wrong. What they don't respect is when they believe that you are just trying to preserve yourself. And look, that's
0: that's the reality. There, hold, hold, let me interject let me interject because yeah. there's a there's a point let me let me say this the audience respects it if the level of adamance and vehemence that you articulated and expressed when you thought you were right equals the same when you recognize you're wrong. Correct. if you're if you're if you're loud, if you're loud and and outspoken and and, and adamant when you believe you're right, but then you're timid and quiet when you're wrong uh, or you dedicate a week to a subject when you think you're right, but you dedicate two minutes when you're wrong. That's an inconsistency there, Clay, right? Right. And look,
1: there are lots of look, we're in the prediction business. How many years in a row did you get the finals wrong?
0: Six. <laughs> Six years. <laughs> no, 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 listen, you're talking to me, Clay. I knew you would have that information. No, no. You're damn right. I was now I have reasons for it. I didn't know about the injuries. I didn't know that Greg Popovich would bench Tim Duncan, you know, for a key rebound. Yeah, I didn't know I didn't know a lot. I didn't know that LeBron James would fold in the fourth quarter against Jason Terry for crying out. Loud. I didn't know these things were gonna happen. No. So that's absolutely true. So I'll give you one for me. Right.
1: Okay. I said the Alabama dynasty was over. My 12 right. year old has grown into a huge university of Alabama fan. He's okay. YouTube recently and he's going through and it's like an Alabama hater YouTube compilation. Mm-hmm. And he comes to me and he's like, dad, watch this. And it's just somebody savaging me because I was a hundred percent wrong about like six or seven years ago. I thought Alabama's uh dynasty was over, right? Right. So I, I like I I, I lived that, right? And I think we're being held accountable, but being right or wrong and I by the way, you're an entertainer. I respect that. We are in the world of sports. Sports is the toy chest of life. I don't worry so much about being wrong with opinions on sports. Right? I did a gambling show for 4 years with uh right. Foxbet, right? With uh, on FS1. It's
0: pretty damn, damn good show. I always watch Yep. Yeah,
1: I mean, and and by the way, everybody who gambles on any sport is wrong all the time. But we got te- we, every day they would come back and they'd be like, hey, I think at one point I lost 14 baseball bets in a row. Do you know how hard it is to go? zero and 14 picking yeah. baseball games. It's wow. impossible. I managed mm. to do it.
0: So, listen, you say all of that and I'm getting where you're coming from. But when I think about now, because w- what you said is sports. And now you've transitioned into something far deeper. You're talking about real-life issues a lot of times. You've been, and I'm not getting into any details because I don't have time to pick up every damn story for crying out loud and echo everything that everybody has said about so many people, rather, have said about you. But you're controversial in your own right. You've been accused of engaging with conspiracy theories and stuff like that. That's entirely different from sports. That's real-life issues. When people look at Clay Travis, what do you want them to know about you as it pertains to to really, really addressing the serious issues that affect us all. It could be COVID. It could be the sh- the, mur- the murder of Tyree Nichols in Memphis. It could be the shooting that just took place in Tennessee. It could be what you've said as it pertains to attention being brought to bear on police brutality, but not enough on black on black crime. Just to use that as an example. Yep. You've touched on all of these things and it's ruffled a lot of feathers. What do you say to people that, really question your level of sensitivity and your facts on some of those issues?
1: My facts are all right. You can certainly question my level of sensitivity. I'm old okay. school in the sense that I'm sticks and stones may break your you know, bones, but mm-hmm. words will never hurt you. That's the way that I was raised. That's the way that mm-hmm. I raised my, my kids. Uh, mm-hmm. I am 100% First Amendment first. Make all the arguments you want. Get your facts right. That's what I try to do. Second part, I'm 100% opposed to cancel culture. I think if we had real honest legitimate conversations you may think people out there listening right now they may be like man I disagree with Clay Travis 100% on this issue I would be like that's fine let's you know tap beer glasses I bet but- there are four other things that we could find that we have common ground on okay I, but I, to me that's what sports used to represent I think mm-hmm. very much sports has become identity politics by another name, and that's one of the things that bothers me the most is sports used to be 80s, 90s, 2000s, by and large, in my experience. When you were out in an arena, when you were in a stadium, and your favored team won, so this is back when the Knicks actually won, Stephen A. Yes, uh, Terry,
0: don't remind me. Go ahead. Go ahead, 1999, around, yes. You
1: would turn around, and you would high-five everybody around you, and you wouldn't care about their race, their gender, who they voted for president. I'm old school in the sense that I'm the Jordan era, right? I'm the Tiger Woods era. I am the Bo Jackson era. I didn't care about any of those guys other than their excellence. And sports is, to me, the best man or best woman wins, no matter who your daddy is, no matter where you grew up. And now I got to look around and it's like the best man who identifies as a woman is suddenly a women's champion. And I I just fundamentally reject that.
0: Well, I definitely agree with you from the standpoint I'm against cancer culture. You got you are absolutely right. We agree on that. But let me ask you this just for clarification. Define what cancer culture is to Clay Travis.
1: To me, cancel culture is the difference between I disagree with you and here's why. That is not cancel culture. That's the First Amendment. That's the marketplace of ideas. I wholeheartedly support it. Cancel culture is I disagree with what you said. And you no longer deserve to be able to make a living doing what you do.
0: Yes. Oh, yes.
1: To cancel call. We, and that, by the way, we agree. whether you're in media like us or whether you are, uh, you know, just some random person who goes on Facebook and posts something and you are mm-hmm. an employee and all of a sudden you can't do your job anymore. Um, I think we should have real conversations, uh, mm-hmm. but I am opposed. And I was consistent. That's the argument I was making at CNN when everybody tried to cancel me. Um, mm-hmm. I was comparing Jamel Hill and her opinions on Donald Trump. She called him uh, you know, a, a white supremacist, I think. And I said, look, I think she should be able to say that. But I similarly think that Kurt Schilling, who now works at OutKick, but that he should be able to say, hey, I don't agree with this transgender agenda, in particular when they're doing it off the air, right? I think that mm-hmm. you should be able to share opinions. It's different mm-hmm. if you're broadcasting it on FS1, by the way, or ESPN. Nobody who ever watched my sports gambling show had any idea what I thought about politics, right? They're just there to say, who's going to win the Super Bowl? Who's going to win the NBA?
0: So in other words, if somebody says something off camera yeah, and that's how they feel, okay, but they were saying it off camera, they shouldn't be prevented from working on camera about something totally unrelated to what they said. That's what your belief is. That's
1: my belief. And by the way. Think that Kurt Schilling's opinion on who the starting pitcher should be in the World Series is impacted by what he thinks about the transgender agenda, or if you think that Jamel's opinion on who the best quarterback in the NFL mm-hmm. is impacted mm-hmm. by what she thinks about Trump, I would mm-hmm. agree with that. And I would say mm-hmm. both should be entitled to the full fledged opinions of their lives, both public and
0: private. I'm going to do you a favor. I ain't going to tell you what I feel about Kurt Schilling. I'm going to leave that alone. That's for another day. That's for another day, Clay Travis. By- Let me. Go, go ahead. agree with him, but you don't
1: dispute that he deserves to be able to say whatever he thinks, right?
0: I think everybody should be allowed to say whatever they think, me personally speaking. I think there's a level of responsibility that we have to have because of folks, especially young folks that we're influencing. I think the platform that you say it on matters. I definitely think that, but I am totally against cancer culture. I think that a lot of times you have a lot of people out here, as Chris Rock said it best in his latest stand-up, when he talked about once upon a time you used to want to get ahead by working your tail of and being the best that you can be. Now you just wait for somebody to mess up. That seems to be that, And I totally agree with him with that. Let me transition to woke culture. What is your definition of woke culture? Yeah, I'm interested in knowing because I, I don't know if I can give a definitive definition about woke culture. So I'm going to ask you, Clay.
1: Yeah, to me, woke culture is identity politics matters more than anything else. So before you would look at the facts, you know, Lady Justice is blind. Right. There's a reason why the scales of justice this is me going a little bit legal, but there's a reason why the scales of justice are blind, because as soon as you allow yourself to be influenced by the identity of someone and you are ranking basically hierarchies of victimization based on identity, that is people things things that people are not choosing. You didn't choose to grow up a black guy. I didn't choose to grow up a white guy. We both ended up somewhat similarly in the opinion business, I find your race and your gender personally to be the least interesting part of your opinion because it's something that you did not choose. So when you, and I think sports unfortunately has been infiltrated in this way, but when you, with woke culture, you start off with a pyramid of victimization. And so everything is analyzed through the prism of that. And I'll give you an easy example in the world of sports. Mm -hmm. How much different would uh, the Deshaun Watson case, right? He has not been charged with a crime. I want to make that clear. But I believe there are 30 women who have accused him of sexual assault.
0: Yes, that is correct.
1: I've defended murders. I've defended guys accused of domestic assault. I've defended drug dealers. I'm I'm not a judge guy, right? If you go back, in fact, on the consistency, I think one of the worst decisions ever made in sports was this idea of Roger Goodell that the NFL should be a judge, jury, and executioner and be punishing guys for things that they did 100% not connected to football itself. I'm probably the foremost critic early in those Mm -hmm. days of that. I continue to despise it, period, right? Mm -hmm. I think teams should be able to decide to employ whoever they want as long as they're not in prison, okay? But how would Deshaun Watson have been covered if Deshaun Watson, instead of Deshaun Watson, every fact is the exact same, except it had been Josh Allen? I would submit to you that the number one criticism would have been oh, look at this white quarterback, Josh Allen, he can be accused of sexually assaulting 30 different women, avoid criminal charges, and sign the biggest contract in the history of football. Nobody has ever gotten more guaranteed money than Deshaun Watson. Now, I think the reason why that happened is because the ultimate rule of sports is your talent determines everything. And I'll give you an example again. If if Colin Kaepernick had taken a knee, uh, uh, sorry. If, if Aaron Rodgers had taken a knee during the National mm-hmm. Anthem and said, you know what, I support ISIS. I think America's being too tough on Muslim terrorists. You know what would have happened? He would have still gotten to keep playing because he's one of the top five quarterbacks in the league. I think the reason Deshaun Watson got paid is because the Haslams and the Browns decided they were desperate to pay a quarterback who was elite. They believe he's elite. But if Josh Allen had done everything the exact same, the number one story in sports media would have been. Look at this white quarterback. He can get away with anything.
0: Well, but but see, I, and and I'm not necessarily saying that I disagree with you, but I think to use that example, I think the story is incomplete, and we're not certainly not trying to throw Josh Allen's name out there because he's never been accused of such a thing. And right. I understand, yeah, I know, I, I know, I know you weren't saying that. I know you weren't saying that. I just want to make sure I clarified that for our listeners and viewers. But I will say this: I think the reason why it would have been a big story had it went down that way is because society, the society that we're living in, would have questioned whether or not it would have been the same kind of treatment he received. Would that have been accorded to someone from the black community or the minority community? That's what people would. have. I think that in our society, Clay, one of the things that and I've often said this, and this is quite a a, a bad example. And I noticed, but I've often said this, so I'm certainly not going to deny you from hearing what I said. I don't want anybody to get killed. I don't want anybody to be harmed. I don't want anything like that. But the real issue in our society is what people perceive to be as inequality. If everybody, I once, I went, I I'll <laughs> confess this to you, Clay. I went, went, I went up to a couple of white police officers and I said this to them one day. I said, I never say police brutality. I say brutality on the part of some police officers because I don't want to castigate all of them. I always make sure to make that distinction, right? But also said to them, it's pretty hard to explain to us how an unarmed black man can get shot. But we could see people, somebody in Oklahoma City, running away from the cops and shooting at them while they're running away. We could see a guy like Dylan Brooks, who killed nine people in South Carolina, get arrested and and they stop him at Burger King to give him some food. But somehow, some way, a black individual that is unarmed gets shot. Now, if everybody of every ethnicity was getting shot by police officers, then you would have, then it would be different. But when it seems like this is specified for one race of people, that's where it becomes problematic. All right, You see what I'm saying?
1: Get you with a response to that, because I think.
0: Sure, please, please, please.
1: I believe we live in a world where whatever you believe, I think this is social media. There is an anecdotal story to support it. Right, does okay what it is. It can be something serious like police misconduct. It can be something not very serious like Kyrie Irving saying, "Hey, I don't think we went to the moon" or whatever else. Right? There's a video out there on the internet that you could find that would support it. Right? I think Kyrie Irving. What did he say? The Earth is flat. Like,
0: yes, yes. that's what he said. That's what he said. Yes. Uh, Go ahead. The
1: data on police shootings, for instance, seventy-five percent of people over the last seven years who have been shot and killed by police in this country are white. Asian or Hispanic, 25% are black. Now you can, and that, that's, you can go look it up, Washington Post database. Okay. Get the fact
0: I'll look it up, I'll look it up.
1: So now you can argue black population, 12 or 13%. So black thirteen at a higher rate, right? If you say 25%, which is roughly what mm. numbers reflect. Uh, but then I think you have to go into violent crime. The other thing I think is interesting here is no one ever argues the police are sexist, but almost everybody police shoot. Dudes, right? Like, and almost everybody they arrest. Most people, mm-hmm. grandmas, are not out there creating very much of a stir, right? So, my point on that, and it ties in perfectly to me with the Colin Kaepernick thing. If Colin Kaepernick had came come out and said, you know what, I believe there's far too much violence in this country. I think police are shooting way too many people—white, Asian, black, and Hispanic. I think the response to that conversation would have been far different because it's been okay. universal and not identity politics-driven, and On the Kaepernick thing, and I'm curious what you would think about this, I always like, so when you're a lawyer, you basically deal in hypotheticals all the time, right? Because fact Mm -hmm. patterns change and you can go from, oh, that person's guilty to that person is not guilty, right? Mm -hmm. What do you think the reaction would have been if Colin Kaepernick had decided during the national anthem as a San Francisco 49er to take a knee because he thought gay marriage shouldn't be legal?
0: Oh, Lord. I think it would. I actually think it would have been worse. So it, it, I actually, think. It, I think in the day in the, in the day in this day and age, it might have been worse because one of the things that I've talked about, obviously, racism is still pertinent and it matters, of course. But I think that when people look at homophobia, transphobia, uh, 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 misogynism and stuff like that, I do believe that that has really the sensitivities to those issues have heightened and gained a significant level of traction compared to the, to the, to the black-white issue. I do believe I that. I
1: agree with And by the way, in San Francisco in particular, which is a city that certainly, it's not Dallas, right? It's okay. not, you know, Tampa. It's, it's San Francisco, which is a monster gay population, right? And so okay. the way I talked about it, and I heard very few people having this discussion, was I said, look, you're entitled to any opinion, as I said before. But when you are in uniform at work, if I went into McDonald's, I love McDonald's, right? I went in to go get yep. a Big Mac. And I went up to the counter and I ordered a Big Mac. And the McDonald's worker said, "Meats murder. I'd be like, I want this dude fired, right? Because I want to come in and order a hamburger. I don't want anybody lecturing me about the global environment or methane or anything. I just want a hamburger, dude. So to me, what was so fascinating about Kaepernick is people said, oh, I'm defending his First Amendment rights, which I would mention in uniform at work, totally different than him saying with his social media profiles or whatever else, whatever he agreed. Mm -hmm. Think about how much different the conversation is if he takes a knee and just says, in uniform at work, I don't think gay people should be able to get married. The same people who are like Colin Kaepernick's a hero would have said, this dude should never be able to play in the NFL again. And by the way, some of the people who said Colin Kaepernick shouldn't play in the NFL again, uh, or -hmm. what he was taking a knee for, would have said, Mm -hmm. oh, he's opposed to gay marriage. This guy's a hero, right? Right. My point is we need uniform standards. And what I try to do is respond the same way. I don't want if I'm an employer, I don't want my employee at uniform at work alienating in a, any of my office. Yeah, because I want everybody.
0: But as a white guy, Clay, yeah. you do understand black folks have been clamoring for universal standards forever. I mean that's that is something that, that that is something that we've lamented. I mean you know that right? Yeah, we agree. Look, I went
1: to uh, I went to Martin Luther King. I graduated from a high school named after Martin Luther King, uh, and, uh, and and in an inner city part of Nashville. Okay. So I'm not I'm not unaware of the arguments. In fact, that is my one of my primary arguments is judge mm-hmm. people as individuals, mm-hmm. as opposed to as part of groups, because I think mm-hmm. oftentimes I'll give you another example. Just happened. LSU, Iowa, the reaction to that story, if you have two white girls or two black girls, story vanishes, right? That was a, I believe, primarily racial driven response in many ways that would not have existed if there were two black individuals involved or two white individuals involved. Um, And so I'm more interested in the individual than I am Mm -hmm. in the identity with it.
0: Let me get to your politics in this regard. You voted for Barack Obama, not once, but twice. Is that correct? That is correct. You voted for him. And you said at the time you previously, um, you, you said uh, in 2020, when you announced that you were voting for Donald Trump, you said you had never voted Republican before then. Correct. So what? So when people listen to you on the radio or they read your stuff, and, and you know, without kick or they see you on Fox News because you contribute to Fox News. I've seen you on Hannity with his crazy self. I mean, you, you know, that's my man, but I think he's crazy. You know that. But that's all right, though. That's all right. He knows I think he's crazy. <laughs>
1: think there were more of that. He's my guy, but I think he's crazy. Like my wife would say he's my husband, but I think he's crazy on.
0: Something. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that happens. But But what do you say to people that says. To, about Clay Travis. How the hell did you get to this point? If you never voted for Republican, you never voted for Republican in your life until 2020. How did you become this guy who I'm certain? I'm not going to call you a right winger or anything like that. I mean, I don't believe most of us live on the fringes. You know, I, I, the, the, I, the, you, you're entitled to your beliefs and your opinions. I'm not here to question that. All I'm asking is. How did you get to a point where you were a guy that voted for Barack Obama twice, never voted for a Republican to succeeding Rush Limbaugh and being considered a prominent voice for the right? I mean, how did that happen?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And so let me first of all, Obama 2008 would be a Republican campaign now. If you go back and look at Obama 2008, what was the number one narrative, number one story that he sold? He sold, even me, a mixed race kid from Hawaii with a funky name, can grow okay. up to be the president of the United States. Okay, that was not very different than Bill Clinton, nineteen ninety two, which Fair. I'm a kid from Hope, Arkansas, single parent. Mm-hmm. I'm not supposed to be here. Uh, so Obama, two thousand eight, to me, and this is interesting, Stephen A. It's the only presidential campaign that both parties in twenty first century accepted was one, right? Every other one, there's like a tiny little twitch. You can say, oh, if more people showed up in Ohio or whatever. Obama 2008, I think, was the best, uh, best campaign that anybody has run in the 21st century, okay? And let me yeah. explain why.
0: To me, Social media.
1: Oh, to me, Obama <laughs> represented America is the greatest country that's ever existed in the history of uh, the world. And he attracted lots of people who were white, Hispanic, Asian, Like that that message, new uh, residents, uh, recent immigrants, it resonated because everybody wants to believe, to your point, that any kid that's born today, regardless of their mom or dad, regardless of where they start, could end up president of the United States. That was Obama's message. I think that what happened was the Democrats, they undervalued how incredibly talented of a politician Barack Obama was. And they took as his legacy, we have to have a minority on the ticket or a woman. Hillary Clinton in 2016, I voted for Gary Johnson, as I've said publicly, the Libertarian. I did not vote for Trump or Hillary in 16. Hillary Clinton ran. What was her message? I'm with her. It's time to break the glass ceiling. You should vote for me because I'm a woman. And I think the lesson that Democrats took from Barack Obama was not. I'd love to hear Obama himself address this because I think they've undervalued him. It's like if you suddenly looked at uh, Michael Jordan or LeBron James and didn't take them as the Mm supreme talents that they are and instead argued, oh, well, this is the message is just we should drive to the basket more or we should dunk the ball more. Well, those guys are really good at that, right? Like it's rare. Mm -hmm. And so I believe I've stayed basically the exact same. Uh, Stephen A., what I see by and large for the cancel culture community, I defend comedians, right? The idea that Kevin Hart couldn't host the Oscars, uh, to me because he made a few jokes that people didn't like back in the day, indefensible, right? I have stayed right, kind of in the middle. I was always kind of right. So you're
0: you're saying it was indefensible they wouldn't allow him to host the Oscars?
1: 100 billion percent. Okay. Man, I've taken this analogy for a long time. If you drove past a comedy club and you saw a dude standing outside with a poster board and he was saying, protesting the comedian inside, what would you probably do as you drove past? Yeah. You would shake your I head would, and be like, that guy's yeah. a loser. That's right. Yet that guy would have driven to the comedy club. He would have gotten a poster board. He would have written on it. He would have stood outside in the rain, the snow, the whatever it is, to hold up. And he would have, You would have known who he was. He would have stood behind his own opinion. And you would drive past him in your car and you'd be like, that guy's a loser. If you don't like the jokes that a comedian's going to tell, just don't go. Yet in social media, if that same dude gets online and he shares some joke from 10 years ago and says, oh my God, look at what Kevin Hart said, or look at what Chris Rock said, or Dave Chappelle said something against the transgender community, then we have to cancel. it. So I think by 2020, I think Trump's 100% right on China. I have called out the NBA. I think we're missing the fact that China is far worse today than the Soviet Union was in the 1980s. I think they wanna crush us. And I think we have to man up and go toe to toe with China. Uh, I think the cancel culture is 100% wrong. So whatever opinion you have, say it loudly. If people don't like it, then you can't wipe them out. Uh, I am on that uh, perspective. And again, I'm coming from the 80s and not 2000s, where I think we all have way more in common than we do different. And I think we've allowed a tiny cadre of crazy woke people, primarily on social media, to totally destroy and distort our national conversation. So what
0: about what about what about but what about the craziness on the right? Because you because you you know there's crazy people everywhere. Okay, I mean I will concede that some of the stuff in the woke culture, I'm I'm I I got you. Yeah, but on the right. You know, the you, you listen to the Marjorie Taylor Greens and some of the things that she said. I mean, she went on she went on the air, and you know what she said about Democrats on on the sixty minutes. I mean, that was entirely inappropriate and excessive and, and, and just out of pocket. You see some of the stuff that that that's been going on. So my question to you is, what about the folks on the right too? I mean, are you against it all? Are you against it all?
1: Look, they get mad at me, Stephen A, and they'll probably clip this and they will share it. Uh I'll give you a couple of things we're on the crazy right, I don't agree with. Um, and I mean, look, I, I just I don't tiptoe up to it. I think the idea that if you get raped, uh, you should have to have a baby, I think it's batshit insane. I'm gonna be honest with you. Like, you wanna step right into abortion? Like, there's 10% of the population that believes that if you get raped by your dad, you should have to have that baby. I think that's crazy. Uh, by the way, there's also 10% of the population that believes you should be able to have an abortion in the ninth month of pregnancy. I think that's crazy. Uh, They get mad. So that's, you know, my personal opinion is I'm where most of Americans are uh, on the issue of abortion, for instance. That makes people very uncomfortable because we live, Stephen A., in a world of absolutes where if you don't absolutely commit yourself to one side, then people say, oh, you're disloyal. I think that's dishonest, right? Another one I'll give you. I think Trump lost in 2020. Yes, he did. They rigged the election. I think there was big tech collusion. I think they didn't share the Hunter Biden story like they should have. Um, I think they changed the rules because of COVID. But Joe Biden got more votes than Donald Trump did to be president. He won the election. People get furious at me for saying that uh, to this day. So I think you have to be willing to say things sometimes that your base level of support gets angry about, right? And Mm -hmm. I think that to me is honesty. And I always say, Sometimes people, and I'm sure you get this sometimes too, will yeah. say, I agree with 100% of what you say. And I say, you should you should think more. Because That's right. you should never agree with 100% of what any person says. Never.
0: Yeah, we don't want. We, I don't want anybody to agree with 100% of what I say. I want them to challenge. It doesn't bother me.
1: They say, I agree with everything you say. You're not thinking. You're not mm-hmm. actually uh, paying attention to everything I say.
0: Last question to you, because I got to get ready to get on out of here. And I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule, because you just finished doing your radio show. So thank you again for your time. Here's the question, the last question that I have for you. You've got to a point now where when you hear the name Clay Travis, you ain't really thinking about sports anymore. You're thinking about a guy that has a lot of potent opinions about a lot of serious matters. And then you're looking at the platform that you have, Fox News, uh, Succeeding. Rush Limbaugh with Buck Su- Sexton on on the EIB net. That's what I always call it, EIB net. <laughs> I'm always calling it that. You know, I mean, clearly the position that you're in right now, it comes with a different responsibility. Obviously, because we're thinking about serious life issues, not just games, uh, we have to take it that way. How do you feel about where your career is at and where you're going as it pertains to the life to the lives? That you probably will impact along the way in ways that you never would have done discussing sports
1: Stephen a what people say to me now, which I never heard when I did sports is people come up to me all the time and say, thank you for saying what you are saying, because I don't feel when every time I speak, I say, hey, how many people in this audience? And I think this goes for every white, black, Asian, Hispanic person in the country as well. How many people in this audience? have thought about sharing something on social media and decided not to because you were afraid about what might happen to you if you shared your actual opinion. Every hand in the whole audience goes up. Every mm. And so I said earlier, I feel like I have a tremendous privilege because I get to say exactly what I believe. And after I sold my company to Fox, I don't ever have to work again. Right. I kid my wife with at some point, I'm just going to grab my phone and throw it as far as I can into the ocean, and just uh, raise my boys and vanish. And she says, "You'll never do that." And the answer is probably correct because Stephen A. I look around and I say, "If I wasn't saying what I'm saying, there's almost no one who would be saying." It. And so I feel a tremendous privilege to be able to speak exactly what I think every single day. And I would like to think that I can be helpful towards returning the United States to some form of normalcy, to an era where I would love it if 60% of the people, whether it's a Democrat or a Republican, would just be like, you know what? I think the president of the United States is doing a pretty good job. And I may not agree with him or her on everything, but 60% of the American population, we had it with George W. Bush for much of his presidency. Not at the end, for sure, because Iraq, Iraq was a disaster, and that was a bad thing, yes. uh, which is another thing that sometimes makes people uncomfortable. But he was wrong, that's mm-hmm. We had it with Bill Clinton. Uh, And certainly we had it with Ronald Reagan. I would like to believe that we can have it again. And I understand some people are going to disagree, but that is my goal, that we could get to a place where 60 percent of the American public's like, I think the president's doing a pretty good job.
0: I forgot. I can't forget, even though that was supposed to be my last question. This is my last one, because I'm dying to hear your answer on this, Clay Travis. Want to know real quick. Why Donald Trump? And here's what I mean by that. I believe practically any Republican candidate other than Trump would likely beat. Joe Biden. Yep. I don't view Joe Biden as receiving 80 million votes. I review I, I view it as 80 million people voting against Trump. Yep. And so considering how divisive he appears to be the serious questions about his ability to win a general election. The fact that the Ron DeSantis of the world to the Liz Cheney's of the world to the Ted Cruz's of the world would vote practically in lockstep at least over 90 percent of the time with somebody like Trump. You have people who would implement those similar policies. What is this fixation that so many on the right have with this need for him to be that guy, even though it could potentially cost y'all a general election?
1: I agree with almost everything you said uh, there. So let me unpack that. Um, I think Trump connects viscerally with a huge segment of Republican and also other non-affiliated voters because Republicans got tired of the Mitt Romneys of the world. The guy, more frankly, going to curl up in the fetal position and not stand up as soon as they get attacked. So they like the pugnacious nature of Donald Trump and the fact that he is willing to take things up my biggest uh, my biggest issue with Trump and I've said this to him is he's a bull in a China shop. I think he often gets to the right result but in the process he just breaks a ton of things along the way. So the argument that you just made is I think the exact argument that Ron DeSantis is going to make when he officially announces in June ish of this year and I think we're going to see, a titanic struggle over the future of the Republican Party between Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump. And I think it's going to be an absolute Donnybrook. And the argument that you're making is the number one argument that DeSantis is going to make. I am a more effective version of Trump. He already lost to Biden. I will kick Biden's ass if you put me in that ring. Trump is going to argue that he is going to beat. Uh, Biden, because he's going to argue that he didn't actually lose in 2020. But I think you're hitting it. I think there's a strong argument to be made that I always think it like this. You watched the Game of Thrones? Yes. Do you remember the trial by combat?
0: No, no, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't.
1: trial by combat, you would get to pick your fighter and fight for you, right? Yes. Yes. I I love Game of Thrones, right? Mm -hmm. If Democrats could pick the Republican nominee, they would pick Donald Trump. And I would just say to anybody out there thinking doesn't mean you can't make a bad choice because in 2016, Democrats would have made the same choice and Trump beat Hillary. Mm-hmm. Trump could beat Biden. But if your opponent is saying, we want this guy, you should definitely contemplate why are they trying to make that pick?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Especially since some of the guys, some of the folks he supported in the midterms lost. Oh, it
1: it, was a disaster when it came to the the, the toss-up states.
0: I am not surprised at how thoroughly I enjoyed this conversation. I could have talked to you for the next hour. I appreciate your time, my man. Thank you so much. Um, learned a lot talking to you, man. I really enjoyed the conversation. And I, like I said, I, listen, there's a lot more stuff that we could get into, but I wanted my audience to learn about you. So I, I think that you did a great job of doing
1: that. A home and home. I will bring you on and I'll ask you all the questions. And by the way, <laughs> I'll say this for you. sure, you need texting Stephen A or blowing him up on Twitter because you disagree with me on something we should have more conversations between right. people of a variety of different backgrounds re- yeah. conversations as opposed to this idea of oh if you talk to so and so you agree with everything here yeah please that's bullshit
0: yeah total total bullshit i appreciate your time man i'm looking forward to coming on your show thanks a lot buddy sure,
1: i appreciate my man thank you
0: thank you take care Did you know that last year the S&P 500 went down 20 percent? Bitcoin went down almost 60 percent, but gold not only didn't lose money, but went up a few percentage points. So far this year, gold has been steadily rising and silver is up almost 30 percent in the last six months. Experts predict gold will continue to skyrocket this year, and you don't want to miss out. That's because gold protects you from inflation and market volatility. Gold and silver should be a part of every balanced investment portfolio. Legacy Precious Metals is the company I trust when it comes to investing in precious metals. What I like about LPM is they have an education-first approach. Making investing decisions can be overwhelming, but their team takes the time to answer all of your questions and give recommendations based on your personal situation. Call Legacy Precious Metals at 866-257-3080 or visit them online at LegacyPMInvestments.com to download your free investing guide. Don't leave your finances the chance. Be informed. Contact my friends at Legacy Precious Metals. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock sticking like my lifeline until I flatline. I push it to the red line. Who going stop me high? Who going stop me high? Thanks again to Clay Travis. Really appreciated that time, that interview, a lot of stuff that he had to say. Very interesting. Very compelling. Can't deny it. We'll get into all of that at a later date. I got to get on out of here, ladies and gentlemen. Remember, you don't have to know sports to know mercy. I just proved it yet again. There's always a lot to talk about. Make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel, No Mercy Podcast. Check it out. Okay, Stephen A. Smith, No Mercy. I got to get on out of here. Until next time, peace and love, everybody. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts.